Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Well, we are moving right along now in these bubbles and in this weird and wonderful Stanley Cup playoffs that uh, God has given us. God being Gary Bettman, I guess, this year. Uh, the table setter for each series in the conference finals are now in the books. Uh, and both games couldn't have gone any different. Tampa Bay Lightning beat the breaks off the New York Islanders. 8-2 was the final score. And then the Dallas Stars put the Golden Knights in a sleeper hold for basically the entire game, uh, winning one nothing on a goal scored early on in the game in the first few shifts, I guess. Uh, we'll break down both games and look ahead at both series and the only Maple Leaf podcast that is ignoring the Maple Leafs right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, Mike, what's going on, man? Not too much. It's, it's fall now. We're, we're right in the, I guess, we're right in the, in the thick of it at this point. It's, it's pretty chilly outside. I tried to step on the balcony this morning and I had to throw on a couple sweaters. I've become a, I've become a candle guy. Sorry, you threw on a you threw on a couple sweaters. Yeah, multiple sweaters. Well, I threw on like this is this is technically a sweater. It's like a shirt, but a sweater. Then you throw on a hoodie over it. You got to be all snug. Come on, got to be cozy. And become a candle a candle guy too. Yeah. (laughs) You become a candle guy. Yeah, I think uh, I I love just you know one was thrown in with a with a purchase I made at a Kitchen Stuff Plus, great store. We're not sponsored. Want to shout that amount. And uh, I really like the vibe, so now I think I'm a candle guy, and uh, that's that's all the the life update I can give. See, while well, you're you're evolving, and I'm just reverting back to early COVID days where it's just you know not grooming myself, desperate yeah. for a haircut, you know, wearing the same old clothes over and over again. I guess mixing in a sweater, just one sweater though, not evolving Only one? for the base sweater oh, is man. not something uh, I'm I'm at in my life yet. Uh, maybe I'll get there if you know there's any motivation to do anything you know, getting out of the house because we seem to be slipping back into what could be, you know, another prolonged stretch of time at home. But at yeah. least we're going to have sports to, to watch, even when the NHL playoffs are over, which is like, you know, coming up on like less than a month. We're going to mm-hmm. be up, done with hockey and moving on to the offseason and Leaf News, which will be exciting. Uh, but we're still going to have different sports because uh, as life sort of is remains complicated, sports just trudges forward. And mm-hmm. we're trudging forward with these playoffs uh we're you know as i mentioned we're already in the first two games uh and i think we should probably start with tampa bay because what they did to the new york islanders was pretty humiliating in game one it was uh like it was fun to watch because i i love watching the islanders get beaten but it was it was hard to watch in the sense that you know uh, they were dead by you know the end of the first period and they just kept pouring it on um that Mm -hmm. this was this is exactly the kind of game that i was hoping it would be uh, that this, this series would provide us with when the Islanders were the team that moved on. Because we were talking about on the last podcast that we were worried that the Islanders were going to neutralize how fun Tampa Bay was. We were worried that, that essentially they were going to bring down, just by, by, by who they are, they were going to bring down the entertainment factor and have a fun, high-flying team like Tampa kind of have to sort of play like, play like the Islanders to beat them. And no, the, the Tampa Bay came out and I think there was a stat that oh, for 58 minutes and I think 53 seconds in the game, Tampa Bay did not miss the net. 
Like they. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even know how that's possible. That is. That is one of the. Like I. I have. I have no uh, way to contextualize this. Yeah. But it seems like maybe the most wild <clears throat> and most like the the craziest indicator of efficiency that I've ever seen. I've never even heard anything like this before. I didn't even know. I mean, obviously, people you know track stats for everything that includes you know shot attempts and anything based on shots is covered pretty well. Um, but this was something I haven't even seen. Like, I haven't seen a period where they're like, oh, they didn't even miss the net that period. What a period. Like, I've never heard anything like this. this is completely Has that ever happened before? Like, that was, that's insane. That's almost the entire game where, you, where every puck you shoot, like, like, towards the net hits it. It's like they didn't waste a single attempt. No. And, and that makes sense when you look at the scoreline. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like they wasted anything because they obviously got eight goals and, and they – they didn't take that many shots. It was basically whatever they wanted, they they were able to get, and they weren't have to. They didn't have to get to the point where they were forcing anything. Like we've seen the Vegas Golden Knights the last four games, just shooting from everywhere and mm-hmm. missing the net because you're just forcing shots through and trying to get through bodies. Basically, Tampa was playing shinny, where you have to get shinny with no goalies, where you have to yes. get around everybody before you actually put the puck in the net. That's what basically what we saw in a Eastern Conference Final game uh, between you know two teams that look pretty significantly mismatched and this was a game where there were three goals scored from point shots from defensemen too and you and being a Leafs podcast we've seen one specific uh defenseman on the Leafs fire as many point shots as he wants on the net and they rarely ever hit it this is Mm -hmm. like it's just the sheer I want to see context of this I want to like go down to the sport logic offices and and get them to go through the archives and be like has this ever happened before because that's remarkable this was a team essentially that the Tampa Bay threw the, the, the Islanders on a surgical table and essentially just dissected them, like in front of everybody. It was, it was remarkable. Every single aspect of Tampa that they're, they're lauded for, you know, their deep blue line that can push the puck in transition, their great goaltending, their, you know, offensive, their offensive blue line, and their, their stars up front and just the depth of the roster through and through. It was all on display. Like this is I am, I, we've, we've gone over this before and I have a point in, in our prep here that says, let's just lavish praise on Tampa for a bit. Um, I love the, they might be my favorite roster, at least on paper in the league, just in the sense of how they've built it, how they've, how, how they play, but how essentially how they built it. I think so Steve Dangle put out a, a tweet today that was really interesting. I should have pulled it up before this. So I'm going to vamp for a second here, but just the way that they've built, they've built this roster it's remarkable. It's, it's like their, their lines through and through is first line is draft, draft, draft. So they drafted those three players. Their mm. second line is draft, draft, UFA. So two draft picks in a free agent they signed. Their third line is trade, UFA, trade. So they, they got all those players and they combined them together. And then their fourth line is UFA, draft, UFA. And then it's, it's just, it goes through and through. They, they've, they perfected it. And they just beat the brakes off a team whose only calling card is to neutralize teams exactly like Tampa. And in the first game, and yes, it was a tired aisle team, we'll get into that, but they essentially embarrassed them in, on national television. It was remarkable to see. I think the most interesting about their roster com- composition, I guess, I mean, like, I mean, most teams, yeah, they drafted in the, or they got guys in UFA, like, and that, that's sort of hard to contextualize for me. Um, but I remember going into their room at the beginning of this year, maybe it was late last year. And you can walk in there and know exactly what position everyone plays just by looking at them because right. they have, they have organized their, their roster very, very simply. It is small, speedy forwards, mm-hmm. guys that don't like you're looking them straight in the eye. 
But if you go, if you come up to a defenseman, you're looking straight up in the air. They're, they're, they're basically, they have two types. They have the type of forward that they covet and they have the type of defenseman that they covet. And I think that the, 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 it, it, it sort of breathes, it, it, it kind of funnels perfectly into this new way of hockey that at least the elite teams want to play or the teams that have separated themselves at least so far, where they want to be big and imposing and difficult to get through on the back end, but they want to let their creativity and everything else shine. And they want to be just a million Marty San Luis up there mm-hmm. uh, up front. I, I think they have really decided who they want to be, especially after they got beat in last year's playoffs. They, they realized that they needed another element, but they are very, they are very set in the way that they want to play. And right now the way that they want to play is better than everybody else. It's Absolutely. better than everybody else wants to play. It's funny. You said that like they have the, they have the small speedy forwards and then they have Patrick Maroon. who's just like mm-hmm. the tall kid in the class, I guess he's the tall, and, awkward guy. Exactly. But even then, like, this is why I love the way that they've constructed the roster is yes, they've, 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 like they're homegrown players. Like Kucherov is a second round pick. Braden points, a third round pick. Um, Andre Palat's a seventh round pick but then they go out and they get a guy like Patrick Maroon who seems to kind of shy away from the way that they play you know he's big he's mean he's not the fastest guy in the world and yet he fits in perfectly on this team because he just complements everything that they they play in a way everything that that their stars or their you know the their middle six guys do because he's just able to to do his job properly like everyone does their job the way that it's lined out for them like it's it's remarkable and you don't like a guy like uh, Mikhail Sergachev, for example. Yes, he's not. He might not be the best defensive defenseman in the league, but he executes his he executes his job to perfection, and he's able to be somewhat sheltered on a defensive standpoint because their blue line is so deep. They're in the conference finals right now, and they have Luke Shen in their top six. Luke Shen, mm-hmm. their right side has Luke <sighs> Shen. It's remarkable. So it's uh, like that being in Toronto that boggles the mind. So I, I they. I, I hope that this is that this is a a testament of what's to come in this series because yes, it was a tired Isles team. They had to travel. Tampa hadn't played in a week. Dallas had just gone through a game seven, and all of the the conversation after the game from the pressers was, we know this is a, like John Cooper said it himself. We know this is a one off. We know that they're going to be there's going to be a response here. We know this is going to be a different team that we're going to play in game two. But man, I don't know how how you can exit this game and not think that Tampa is on another level here. The Lightning are also doing it without Steven Stamkos, yes. which is something that, I mean, obviously it's been touched on, but it's sort of something that people have just forgotten because they're clearly not missing Steven Stamkos in any way. I think the only real area in which he's affected this team is the power play, which isn't quite, hasn't quite been, I guess, as dynamic as it's shown in the past. And I guess when you get to the playoffs, uh, your, your power play doesn't exactly, doesn't typically, I guess, flex on teams like it can at some points in the, in the regular season. I remember a couple of years ago, just watching the Tampa power play and thinking this is like completely new and innovative and something I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that was because they had those two lethal shooters on each side and Braden Point in the middle, just basically dishing to whichever one is open and, and the puck more often than not was finding the back of the net. Uh, but what was also interesting in this game is that Tampa got into penalty trouble. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were, it, it, it wasn't as, as though they were settling into their five on five function and just shift over shift, just sort of dominating New York and getting their advantage that way. They were having to kill a penalty, then getting one of their, getting one of their own, then not getting a power play, just getting a goal and then having to kill another penalty and then immediately scoring another goal. Like it was, it was basically 
that I think even added another frustrating layer to this because they had, the New York Islanders had their opportunities to get back into the game with their chances, which was with, on the power play, some undisciplined play and just some weird stuff that was going on. Uh, but that didn't seem to phase them at all. Like the confidence was just at another level. And why wouldn't it be by the end of the game, even more after beating a team 8-2 and, and not looking like uh, they even deserve to be in the same barn as you. My hot take from watching that game was there was only two teams, maybe three, in the Eastern Conference all year that were any good. Really? So Tampa Bay, yes. obviously good. Boston. Boston, obviously good. Can you guess the third one? Oh, boy. In the Eastern Conference. Um, can you give me a hint? Like, were they – Met- were- Metro, Metro team. Metro team that didn't last very long. Oh, Pittsburgh? No, Carolina Hurricanes. Those are my, oh, my yes. hot take is Damn that it. the only good teams are going to be, uh, you know, a part of this, like, dominoing effect where mm-hmm. Tampa beats Boston, Boston beats Carolina – because I don't think anyone else is really any good. I think New York has just risen above a pretty mediocre, mediocre yeah. division in, with Washington and Pittsburgh and Philly. Philly is not, you know, we, we've talked about them being frauds and not being a number one seed, and we'll go to them a little, We're gonna get little, that, yeah. a little uh, later in the podcast. But th- they didn't deserve to be, we, to be where they were, and I think that means that the New York Islanders don't deserve where they are now which is, you know, in the conference finals, because I just think that it, it was a pretty down year. And I think the bubble obviously has to, has to impact that a bit, but I think really there was only two great teams in the Eastern conference, maybe a third good team in Carolina and what, sh- what should be happening is happening with Tampa Bay rolling through this, this crop of teams. Yeah. I think this is what we, we both hoped and expected from Tampa and that, that is quite a hot take, but I, the more that I think about it, the more that you, I am starting to realize that you're kind of right here. Like there was, I think there, I don't know if there was a lot of just bad teams. I think there was a lot of teams that just didn't live up to what we thought. Like a lot of, which, you know, might kind of be like a, not a hypocritical thing to say, but it might have, have just canceled it out there. But mm-hmm. like there, like if you look at Pittsburgh on paper, like they should have been so much better because that even in the bubble, because they loaded up for a playoff run because they had injuries and then their injured guys came back and they still had the guys they loaded up with and they still got bounced by friggin' Montreal. Like there was, there were so many of these guys, but clearly you have a team like Tampa that's just above, like it's in a class above. Like they just, the way that they play, how structured they are. They get, they get equal contributions throughout the roster. Guys, and, and it doesn't even have to come in the form of um, – it doesn't even have to come in the, in the form of statistics, like, it, like raw statistics. Like Pat Maroon, I would say that he's had a good playoffs this year. I'd say that, that he's done his job. I mean, he has th- zero goals, three assists, and 14 games. You know, Mikhail Sergeyev, I'd say he's had a good playoffs. I think he's done his job. He's a pr- primarily offensive defenseman. He's logging 23 minutes a night, but he has five points in, tw- in 14 games, you know? This what what I love about Tampa and what kind of sets them above the rest is they have a Patriots esque way of taking players, cast offs from other teams who might have been good on you know in 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 one life or another or might have been touted or just saving them from from a a toxic situation, plugging them in or not a toxic toxic situation, but plucking them from the the scrap heap, plugging them into their system and having them it work to perfection. Zach Bogosian is the biggest example of that, where he was. He, he, he got his contract terminated by Boston. It was, it was a terrible situation. He was one of the biggest free agent busts ever. Couldn't stay healthy. Tampa gets him for, for a prorated 1.3 million, plugs him in, and now he's in their top four as a right, def- right shot defenseman who's logging, you know, 19 minutes a night and, and being an intricate part. Like, it's, they, they, just, they just do everything so much better than I think any team that, that's remaining here, aside from maybe Vegas. It's, it's remarkable to see. And it, for the sake of, of hockey moving forward, 
what they're doing to, to the Islanders, it's, it, it, it's the best possible outcome. Is the worst possible outcome here, where the Islanders slogging it out with Tampa, neutralizing one of the most fun and high-flying and skilled teams who are literally doing Globetrotter-esque stuff on the ice, like with that, with that Kucherov pass, was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And the worst-case scenario would be for them to slog it out, make the cup final, and it would just be a bunch of one nothing, 2-1 games and be like, great. And, you know, such an anticlimactic ending. This is, is high-flying, and it just makes me want this Tampa Vegas Cup final even more. Yeah, I tweeted that the Lightning saved yeah. hockey tonight, or in the process of saving hockey. I do love that this You're show correct. is now sort of a just a, an ability for us to bring up our tweets. I kind of like that yes. about it. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I do believe – yeah, exactly. It's, uh, but I do believe that. I mean, like – if they got to the point, if the Islanders basically just shut down the lightning just as they've done with everybody else, and they may still do that, although I don't believe that they're going to, um, then it would, it would have people, you know, more pause about the light, lightning, more pause about that way of, you know, organizing a team, more respect for Barry Trotz and everybody trying to find the next Barry Trotz and everybody trying to do it like Trotz. And I love Barry Trotz, but I, 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 I think Barry Trotz is also a, a coach that would coach a more talented team differently. I think he plays his hand. I mean, we saw that with the Washington Capitals. He plays his hand well, and his hand right now is a team that has a bunch of sort of replacement-level top six forwards, and they're just putting it together. I mean, they're not much more than that. I mean, it's Matt Barzell and a bunch of guys that, yeah, you can throw him in the top six, and he won't kill you, and he'll score 20 goals maybe, but it's, it's, not, it's not anything really special. And I think the only thing that is special about them is probably their coach beyond Matt Barzell. You mentioned that um, the, them getting Zach Bogosian off the scrap heap. Kevin Shattenkirk also falls exactly. into, that, into that thing. And Pat Maroon. And, Sha- and, and Pat Maroon. But, sh- but you also mentioned Sergachev having to play, getting some sheltered minutes. He's only allowed to play those sheltered minutes because they went out and got Bogosian and Shattenkirk. Yeah. Shattenkirk moved up when McDonough was out. Uh, and he did so wonderfully. Like, he, he was a guy that people were writing off. But now Shevin Kak, Shatten, Shattenkirk. <laughs> Shevin Kattenkirk. He's like the perfect, he's like, he's like the perfect rover for them. They can put, he can kind of play any role and just move up and down the lineup and just be a positive influence pretty much wherever, whatever he's doing uh, for Tampa Bay. So they, you're right. They've got it going on. And, and, and it, we shouldn't have gotten this long without talking about Braden Point, who is easily uh, the front runner for the Smythe trophy right now. Uh, And you you talked about the Patriots. I don't know if the Patriots are the best drafting team. I think they miss in the first round a lot, but they do find guys. They do find talent wherever it is. In the middle rounds. And the Tampa Bay Lightning found one of the best players in the NHL in the middle round at Braden Point. Uh, And he's, this is sort of his coming out party. And he's that, that bell cow for them who just does everything and is in the middle of everything and doesn't waste shifts. We talked about efficiency in this game. He doesn't waste his shifts. He is always having a positive influence. And he is probably the reason why a team like Tampa can get over the loss of Steven Samkos because he's doing every for, everything for them right now. Yeah, he, he's elevated his game exactly when they needed it. Like he's, he, he had a, basically a point per game regular season, and that's great. And now he's got 23 points in 14 playoff games this year. And to set, like that's, that's remarkable. And to set the tone in game one, he comes out as a five-point game and essentially just, like I said, plays Harlem Globetrotters with a team that's supposed to be the most elite defensive team in the league. Like he's, this is remarkable. This guy, he, he just goes to show, and I think hopefully Braden Point and if Nick Robertson becomes really good and guys like this and Alex DeBrincat, guys like this, 
he he's he was small, but he had like thirty more points than his next like closest comparable in his draft year. But because he was small and apparently not as quick as some scouts wanted him to be or not, he got picked in, in the third round. Is the third round? Yes. Third, third round, round, yeah. 79th? It, there, was, there, was an article, there was an article that uh, apparently a team passed on him because his force plate tests at the combine were not up to snuff and they didn't believe he'd ever be a, an elite athlete. Oh force plate? I mean, I, 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 I love stats, but that is stats going too far. If you're going to compare it, like Sam Bennett not being able to do push-ups and indicating that, you know, something might be wrong with his shoulder or whatever, I see that. But force plate? Come on. What is that? Like, what I is a force play? I, 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 I think I could be wrong. I'll figure it out. But I think it's like your ability to jump and push off, um, like the power you create by jumping off, like up, off the ground or a platform. But I'll, I'll check it out once you're uh, adding on to this. Is the draft, discussion. is the draft combine like irrelevant now? Like it just seems, it just seems like the, <laughs> well, first of all, there isn't going to be draft combine this year i mean arizona held their own apparently and they got dinged for that but exactly is there like does do these players just kind of show the draft combine is essentially like all a, a dressed up meeting for a bunch of scouts to kind of just hang out together like it doesn't it, it doesn't really play into anything this connor connor and come out with like the bench press record and he still went number one overall he's like the best player in the league like it just it doesn't make sense and if a guy like Braden point can rip through the stanley cup playoffs and his, like, force plate wasn't uh, st stats. I don't even know what that is. His force plate stats weren't that great. It's and the ground's reaction to the force applied by a body. So, yes, I believe it's, it's your ability to, like, explode off the ground. Okay, so how many, how many times in a hockey game do you jump from a standing position up into the air? Exactly. I mean, exactly. I guess you could sort of translate it a little bit to the power you generate out of your legs, but... Why don't you just I do mean, that on the ice? <laughs> I feel like, exactly. I feel like I've seen Braden Point. I, I think he, actually he was one of those guys that went and got like some extra skating tutorial. I think that I might be wrong on this, but I feel like he's might've been a guy that visited Barb Underhill and got some actual instruction. Um, but that just, to sh that goes to show you like players that are ultra talented at certain mm -hmm. levels and they might have some, you know, some red flags or some warning signs or something that you could, you could signify or mark as a deficiency. You can work on those things. You, you want to coach talent. You don't want to try and, you know, coach bad players that show a single thing here and there. You pick the most talented players and you try to round them into complete players. Mm. And clearly the Tampa Bay Lightning have done that with Braden Point. Absolutely. Now they're getting led by Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov, two mid-round picks, you know, second and third round pick. One's got 23 points in 14 games. One's got 21 points in 14 games. They both elevated their play when their captain, Steven Stamkos, he's their captain. And, right? and the number one overall pick, yeah. And the number one overall former pick. Former number one overall yes, pick, yeah. It's gone down. Like, it's, it just goes, this, this team is so deep. They, the fact that they've been able to weather, you know, their superstar captain going down, and they're still far and away, maybe, I would say, the best team left in the playoffs. Goes, like, you, you put that up against any other team. If the Leafs lose Matthews in a playoff series, you know, the, the Bruins lose Pasternak for an extended period of time, or, you know, or Bergeron, whoever you want to say is the best player on that team. You know, go down the list. They're not, they're not clapping the Islanders 8-2. And yet Tampa, here Tampa is doing that, you know, in, in foreign territory, in a, in a bubble situation. It's just remarkable. On the other end of the uh, spectrum in terms of entertainment value yes. in this third round was oh uh, Vegas and Dallas game one, which I watched on delay, but watched up until the goal from John Klingberg. And I expect, and I did like this amazing job of avoiding spoilers. <laughs> and I watched like, 
a whole basketball game, but wasn't watching the ticker. And I was doing everything possible to not see the score. And I succeeded. And usually I don't succeed because you just open your phone and you see Twitter and you're screwed. But I did it this time. So I was expecting to be paid. Like this was going to pay to, I would be rewarded for the fact that I was able to avoid spoilers. And I didn't see a single thing that interested, like not interested me. I wasn't rewarded in the least bit because nothing happened. I had already seen the game. I literally had already seen the game. So all my efforts gone to waste because I came home and watched on PVR, a game that did not evolve, did not have any swings of momentum, didn't have a turning point, didn't have basically anything worth talking about, but we will talk about it um, because Dallas was able to just put the clamp on Vegas, which looked oddly and I think maybe a little concerningly average in this game like they looked they I don't want to say disinterested I don't want to say anything like that but they looked like they were sort of taxed did you see that same thing from Vegas yeah I think this was well Vegas was playing I think what their third game in four nights or something like they were it was yeah so they're but the same I mean there was a lot of you know they shouldn't have went seven with Vancouver then but Mm -hmm. and and I guess they shouldn't have but Colorado had just played a game or Colorado and Dallas had just played a game seven you know, four hours before they had their own game seven. Now, I don't think they had three and four and they were maybe a little bit more spaced out. Um, but still, I mean, both teams are in a bubble. Rest is, mm-hmm. you know, not an issue. They are sleeping Travel's in hotels. Travel is not a thing. Uh, I was just surprised that Vegas didn't look anything like Vegas in game one. Yeah, it was it was really weird. It just, they first of all, they shouldn't have gone seven with Vancouver. I think we can yeah. kind of say that. Like, it's it's it was very odd and, and on like a detriment to them that they were able that they allowed that series to go as far as it did. Um, the only really interesting thing to talk about in the series is their like the, the goaltending decisions that Vegas is making. And mm-hmm. it just like the, the flurry Leonard sort of debacle, not debacle, but sort of back and forth. It's just, it's odd to me. Like I understand. It, 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 it's odd that they've been able to navigate it without incident though. Like flurry lost the game, obviously. Yes. And that's his first loss, I believe, of the playoffs or at least first meaningful loss. But he only gave up one goal. I mean, like they didn't mm-hmm. lose this game. They, they haven't lost a game because of their goaltending decisions yet, which is pretty remarkable because it's been the only thing that you can point to as like a weakness yeah. in this team right now or up until this point. I wouldn't even say it's a weakness. I think it's like their goaltending decisions are weird, but they this is there's a reason why you have this tandem. It's so when you play a yeah. stretch of three and four, you can go back yeah. to a guy who, you know, is, is a great goaltender. What I'm surprised about most is that they've been able, and maybe we don't know because there haven't been any reports about this and we haven't seen anything, you know, outwardly, but they've been able to man, like to navigate this without like personnel incident, you know, without like locker room turmoil, like, Tumult, I guess, or turmoil. It's it's being turmoil. turmoil. Yes, tumult is the tumultuous. Tumult, tumult. You could go with too. Yeah. Yes, but I was gonna say turmoil. Like it's this. We we kind of just skated over the picture with Alan Walsh and everything. I know. I know. We. I don't want to come back to that so much. But like we kind of skated that over. It's in the middle of the playoffs, and the agent of one of your goaltenders tweets out a picture of that that insinuates that the coach of your team. Again, you're in the middle of the playoffs is stabbing him in the back and we just haven't heard anything else about that from how it impacted the locker room how it impacted the the relationship between the two guys who have to share the crease how it impacted the 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 relationship between the coach and and the goaltender like and they've still been able to just kind of play hockey games and win them and look pretty good in them and and advance to the conference final like 
And then, and then they go with the goaltender who said he stabbed in the back. And yes, it wasn't his fault, but he lost it. And we haven't heard any, we haven't heard anything. Like it's, it just, that just surprises me. Like that, that would be, that would, that would not be the case here in this market. If, you know, if Jack Campbell's agent came out and said that he was getting stabbed in the back or Freddie, Freddie Anderson's agent probably the other way around said that, that Keith was stabbing him in the back. And then, you know, they, they went out and played Anderson. And, the and he, Sue bias. Exactly. It just like, it, it just boggles my mind kind of that, that we haven't really had a follow-up to this at all, even though, and again, it wasn't Fleury's fault. He made 24 saves on 25 shots. Good for him, but they still lost game one. And they, they yeah. went to this holding this decision. It's just weird to me. I don't know. I just don't think it hasn't, I don't think it's been an issue because I think while Mark Andre, while, well, why would it be? Cause you're playing well and, you, and the goaltending has not been an issue at all for them. I mean, if they've clearly made the right choice, and they clearly have a luxury of being able to go to Flurry, who can not only, uh, you know, I, I, while I do believe he knew about it and all this stuff, but he has at least been able to be a good enough teammate when he's not playing. And then a pretty good teammate when he's in the net too, because he's done pretty well and acquitted himself fine, I would say, uh, in his brief appearances. Uh, I just think it says something about Flurry's professionalism and their professionalism. And, and Robin Leonard is a guy who probably just laughs at this because he's just bigger than this drama, I believe. Sure. Um, but my, my bigger concern with the Vegas Golden Knights is that they might not have enough goal scoring to win this whole thing. Because mm-hmm. you, you go, you, just comparing, da- I mean, Dallas is the team that couldn't score in the regular season. Yeah. But you look at the teams. On paper. And you look at Ben and Sagan, 30 goals. Yeah, they could reach 30 goals. Radulov, he could hit 30 goals. Gurianov, that's a definite future 30-goal scorer. Yeah. Pavelski, 30 goals in his sleep, right? He'll get 30 on tips alone. Even a guy like Perry, at, that's 15-20 maybe. Yeah, maybe. but then, then you look at Vegas's roster and it's like, okay, Riley, Carlson, Marchessault, it's probably 20 each. Stone could hit 30. Tuck, maybe a future 30 guy. Mm-hmm. But maybe the goal scoring isn't quite the same as it is on the other side, even though Vegas is clearly the most superior offensive team in the regular season. And I think you saw a little bit of that against Vancouver where they just didn't have – maybe those, those, the high-end, high-end guys that can just make it happen when it needs to happen, right? The guys who have that shot that will kill you on the power play. The, the Alex Ovechkin who just, you know what, as good as a goaltender is in a game, if he gets it in his spot and he winds up, it's going to go in the net because it's simply impossible to stop. I think that Vegas is, might not have enough goal scoring to get through at least two more series unscathed because – they're relying a lot on just, you know, shift over shift dominance instead of elite talent putting the puck in the net over and over and over again. And, and maybe that's just recency bias in the last four games with them just scoring two goals. Uh, two goals in four games usually spells the end for any mm-hmm. uh, postseason team. Uh, but they've been able to survive it because they're such a good defensive team and because they built up some equity in a 3-1 lead over Vancouver. Uh, but I'm just a little bit worried that they, well, like their best player, Mark Stone's their best, you know, best uh, forward. Player, yeah. He is an all-around superstar, not a offensive superstar. And maybe that will in the end be the difference where they just come up a goal sh- short because maybe they just don't have that all-star finishing ability. But, you know, they could probably put seven in the net tonight and that would invalidate everything that I'm just saying. Can I ask a very dumb question? This might, this might, this might end up being a dumb question, but how much did Thatcher Demko just slamming the door on them? How much did that, do you think, get in their heads? Because they were scoring pretty well before. Yeah, I mean, that could certainly be a thing. Uh, I think when we talked about the Lightning and how they didn't waste mm-hmm. a single shot until there was a minute and a half left, 
when when the Golden Knights were had their backs up against the wall, they were just shooting everything, missing the net, just do, they're throwing everything at the net, trying to get a bounce. And when you're trying to get a bounce rather than trying to score a goal, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that sort of changes your mindset. Um, but again, they have the personnel that'll do the that will do the things that usually translate to scoring in the playoffs. I mean, half the goals we're seeing involve someone basically setting up a perfect screen. That's all we've seen is screen goals these entire playoffs, like from Pedersen in the last round to what the Lightning were doing in front of both Grice and Barlamov in game one. Like, this is how they're scoring goals. And that's something that Vegas can do in its sleep, probably, because they are such a dominant team in the offensive zone. Uh, but maybe they, maybe they just need, they need an, out, an outburst of goals. I think that that's for sure. And I think it needs to come soon if they're going to sort of, if they're going to survive the early going of this series. Um, but they're certainly gripping their sticks a bit right now, I think. Yeah, they're, they're a very balanced attack. Like if you look on their – they only had one 30-goal score in the regular season, which, yes, I know, it, it was 71 games. So, yeah. Short, it, yeah. Yeah, but they only had um, one, two, three, four players who topped 20, you know, and it was Pacioretty, Stone, who had 21, and then Riley Smith had 27, and then Marchessault had 22, and that's it. And so that's they – have, they have very balanced scoring. Like they had, you know – then they, they had a, a couple other guys who did double digits and a lot of guys who were close to that. So they clearly they have very sort of balanced scoring throughout their forward ranks and even on their defense too. But it, it says something – Shea Theodore is a great player, but it says something when he's your leading scorer in the playoffs, you know? Yeah, yeah. It says something uh, – I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think – well, I didn't notice that, but that sort of – that supports what I was thinking the other day. Yeah, and, and it's like Pacioretty's a great player, but is he really like the number one goal scorer on a Stanley Cup winning team? Like it's – like I feel like there needs to be. He's a different player now. He is. He's and sort of. He's sort of like a heavy Vegas player now, instead of that guy who would lock in thirty a year because he was the most talented guy out there from an offensive standpoint. Well, he scored thirty-two in, in the regular season, so like he had. Which a good, I was surprised. Which I was a little surprised, yes. but yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a good series, but or a season, but it's just you're right. Like the more that the more that you bring that up, Vegas is a very, obviously a very deep team, and they're a very balanced team. But do they have that top-end talent? Do they have that automatic sort of cheat code guy? Like, if they go up against Tampa in, in – let's say they, they get past Dallas and they go up against Tampa in the Stanley Cup final. Like, Tampa has absolute nuclear weapons that they can just throw at Vegas. And, and they'd have to weather that storm. And, yes, Mark Stone's a great two-way player. Pacioretty plays his role great. He's a great heavy player. Riley Smith is fine. Jonathan Marchessault is fine. But these are not, like – these are not guys I'm losing sleep over trying to defend if I'm, if I'm Tampa. Whereas like Vegas, they're like, oh crap, it's Braden Point, it's Nikita Kucherov, it's, you know, even guys like Barclay Goodrow, Blake Coleman, you know, uh, Andre Palat. Like you go down that, that roster and they, they have like some real heavy hitters offensively. I don't know if it's, uh, you're right. I think that the, there might be some, there might be an offensive, uh, uh, I don't know, just an offensive problem there. Yeah, yeah I think, I think they're, they're not an ability to go up they, I guess they do, but do I think they have the same sort of 8-2 firepower as Tampa? No. I think they have to win closer games. I think they have to win shifts over and over and over again to build their thin margins over teams. And they I do. think we're at, the po- we're at the point now where I think Vegas is going to be winning those tight games uh, and bracing potentially for a Tampa in the, in the Stanley Cup final. Like I, I, think, I just think they're going to win in two different ways, and I think Obviously, when you have all this goal potential and you can still play defense like the Tampa Bay Lightning can, I think you favor Tampa because they just have that ability to break away in games where Vegas is going to be fighting tooth and nail, I think, to the very end. 
whether or not they advance or not. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see because then we, we're saying all this now, but clearly like they could come in tonight and just clap Dallas. Like they have the ability. Oh, they could. Oh, for sure. So it's, they need one. They need one to go in net, uh, one to go in the net early, early and then it can snowball. But the more when game when it doesn't come early for them, it just becomes. It's, it's not like they show pressure, but they just have to change the game a little bit where they kind of dumb it down, and it's not. It, it's not. It's not Tampa where Tampa can just sort of take its shots, take its chances, let its skill shine. Vegas just has to sort of gets into this this mode where they're just trying to win shifts rather than score goals. I think that's that's sort of where I'm getting at. It becomes kind of plotting. And as much as we love to to credit Vegas as being, you know, a fun team and and they are. Like they I love watching them play. You're right. If they don't if they if they aren't feeling themselves right off the hop, then it does become a bit more like the more skilled islanders where you're just like, "Oh, great. Like here we go. One step, one foot in front of the other. Like it's just kind of a a, a march towards the final buzzer." Um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see because Dallas, on the other hand, like, yes, they're great at scoring goals now, uh, clearly, but there's a reason, like, they didn't score throughout the entire regular season. That could just go away. That could dry up. And their yeah. goaltending situation, Kudobin's great, but, I mean, I'm not, place, I'm not putting all my money on Anton Kudobin. Like, he could, he could really drop the ball out of nowhere, and all Vegas has to do, they have to do what, what Tampa did. Tampa came out, and hey. They, they played by prison rules. They went right up to the toughest guy in the yard and they punched him right in the face, right off the hop. And that's what they did with, that's what they did with the Isles. They came out in the first period and they, they, they threw three goals in nine shots on Thomas Grice and chased him from the game and went, this is our game. We are not losing. This is like, this is our yard now. And mm-hmm. that's what Vegas has to do. They have to set the tone because they didn't set the tone in this game. Dallas was able to dictate play from the opening, from the opening faceoff and they were able to play a plodding, you know, a, a very plotting, boring lockdown kind of game, and they neutralize Vegas. They, this is exact. This Vegas needs to be who they who they are. And, and fortunately for Vegas, is they're going to get their tone setter back, who is Ryan yes. Reeves. As much as he's you know not a factor, he's not a guy that's scoring thirty goals. He's not going to compare in that in that uh, in I that sense at all. But you, but I was just going to say, I think you're right. I think his absence uh, loomed larger than uh, maybe I gave it credit for because he is the guy who just sort of he lets that team puff their chest out a little bit more. He sort of, he just, just his talking, his, his ability to catch you with your head down, his ability to just, you know, humiliate you in a scrum. Like he's the guy that will just step up and make Corey Perry a little bit less Mm -hmm. of a factor. Jamie Ben, not the toughest guy in the yard anymore. Like he, he will probably change the feeling of game two uh, just be, with his presence alone, will he change the outcome? I don't know because in the end, it's going to come down to whether the, whether or not the Vegas Golden Knights can score goals. But certainly, I think uh, he makes he's going to. Well, yeah, that was the first game, and it's as I mentioned off the top, the table setter and the point of reference that we have right now. The dynamic of the series will change with Ryan Reeves coming mm-hmm. into the fold. It will. He is look. Yes, you say he's not a thirty goal scorer. He's not going to light the world on fire offensively. But when the play you're in the third round of the playoffs now. It is a grind, especially considering the bubble, uh, the bubble setup that you're in. Everything is a grind at this point. And, the la- and, and how you get sort of advantages when series are kind of this tight is you have a guy who the other team goes, oh, great, we got to play against this guy. Oh, it's just another thing on your plate. Oh, man, I, I, I don't want to have to deal with Ryan Reeves tonight. And that's exactly mm-hmm. who he is. He, he makes the game – more he adds to the weight of the game for the opponent in a way that 
allows his team to have the advantage. And as much as you don't want to, as much as I'm not like going to put too much weight in a guy who's going to play like nine minutes in the game at the same time, like he allow, like you said, he allows Vegas to, to, to kind of feel themselves a bit in this game. Like he, like Corey Perry is, cause, cause Reeves is an elite level trash talker. And he's also an elite level face puncher. Like if you, he, he can chirp your head off. And if you try and do anything about it, he's going to knock you out. So that's exactly who you want in a guy like that. And if you can do that, you're, you're sort of like, your, your skill players are allowed to kind of take more liberties because they know they have a guy on the bench who can set, who is, a de, who is an actual deterrent. And so it's mm-hmm. as much as, as much as he doesn't play a huge, he doesn't play a huge factor in the actual like X's and O's of the game. I really do think that, and like I said last podcast, I really do think that him missing from this game, that mentally, that, that gave Dallas an edge. They, re, they could kind of get away with some stuff. They didn't have to kind of look over their shoulders and realize that, that you know, any potential cheap shot or finishing your check or anything is, was going to be met with, you know, 230 pounds or however much he is of like pure muscle flying into you on the next shift. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how much he kind of evens the playing field when he comes back. He is the only guy in the league, I believe, that does the keep the flies off yes. thing. Like, he he's the only the guy who does it. You can talk about all you want. You can talk about Lucic doing that. And it's, just, it's just not the same. He is not – he is on a different level when it comes to that. And you said that, he, yeah, he only plays eight, nine minutes a game. He talks for 60 minutes yes. a game. So that's another difference and something that they're always thinking about him, even though he's not on the ice. Uh, that's what separates Reeves. Uh, what separated the Islanders from the Philadelphia Flyers was everything. Not a, I don't, I don't know how much, but more than it showed because they were the better team, certainly despite it going seven games. And they showed that in the game seven, I don't have too much to say about the Flyers because yeah. I, I think we've, I don't want to say wasted breath. I mean, that's overly dramatic, but they've just been a, a, around for way longer than they should have. They were not that good of a team. They never actually showed uh, that they were a legitimate Stanley Cup contender throughout the life of their postseason run, which included three exhibition games and two complete series. Uh, do, do you have anything? Do you have anywhere to go? We've eulogized teams before uh, in this last uh, few rounds. So, do we have anything to say about the the passing of the Philadelphia Flyers? Yeah, I think I think we kind of nailed, we kind of hit the nail on the head there. With yes, they were around for longer. At the same time, though, like because of the qualifying round. I think we've get we've gotten a warped perspective of how far into the playoffs we are. Like this, it was they only made it to round two. Like it's not that big of a deal. It's yeah. not like they made. It the seems conference. like they were around forever, and it was exactly. annoying the entire time. They've just been on our TV for the last like two months, basically. But at the same or month, I don't know. Time is a construct. We've been over this, but mm-hmm. it's. I I really don't think that they were. They were fun to watch while they were here like they were a team that really believed in themselves um they were especially in the uh in in the qualifying round they were like I, there were so many shots of, of their bench where they were just all like the entire philly bench just smiling they were they were having fun um and i i i really like i love carter hart i love i love pieces on this team and when you really look at it like they have some they have some decent cap space they only really have i, I have it up here Prominent free agents are Derek Grant, Nate Thompson, Tyler. Is it I, Taylor or Tyler Pitt? Like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to put the effort into figuring that out. Tyler, Tyler. Tyler, okay. Justin Braun, who needs to be resigned, and Robert Hagg and Philip Myers are RFAs. They have a decent amount of cap space. They don't have crazy prominent UFAs or, or RFAs to resign. And they have one of the best goalies in the league who is just stepping into his prime. I think they have a bright future here. If they draft well, in, like they bring in internal peace as well, 
I think this could be a team that is 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 out, definitely outperforms this this final or this product, I guess, or outcome, whatever you want to say, um, moving forward. But yeah, they were definitely sticking around for a little longer than they than they needed to here. But at the same time, like I think what we can take away from this is that Carter Hart's legit. Like he's this is this could very well be the next Carey Price, hopefully minus the crazy bloated contract that in a few years. They're, oh, they're, yeah, they're an interesting team, but they just weren't interesting enough now to stick around. Yeah, I think uh, I think Carter Hart, what Carter Hart's going to do is sort of keep them, you know, at a level that is just above what they actually are, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I, I mean, I think as much as I believe they can probably a, a few tweaks and they can be fine. It is going to come down to whether or not Claude Giroux and Jakub Voracek have anything left. Are they still the guys who are going to be at the top of the, you know, the, the guys that are going to be leading the power play and, and key members of the top six and the guys that are going to score goals. They weren't the guys that, were, that scored goals in these playoffs. And that was one of the reasons why they lost is they just couldn't get their top guys going. Uh, Sean Couturier going out didn't help at all. And I'm obviously not worried about him, but uh I don't think there's a trade out there involving those two guys. So it's, it's, can you get the necessary pieces around them that can help them hang on for a few more years and make sure that they're productive members of a hockey team that has a really strong defense coming up and other young guys that are having an impact. So I I just don't know if the timeline is going to work perfectly for this team, but I know Carter Hart is going to keep them at a level of competitiveness and keep them in the playoffs where they might just annoy us for years to come. Why? Okay, I get that. Like, there's the salary implications here, but teams can kind of move things around. Hopefully, Nolan Patrick can, can um, you know, overcome what he's what he's had to deal with in his career and and figure that out. But th- does this not seem like a team that would be ripe for Taylor Hall? Like, I think adding a scoring wing to this team would really go a long way because they need they they need and Travis Konechny is one of is is a great player. Scott Lawton kind of had a coming out party, which is great but they need an injection of, of top end skill. And I know you can say that with kind of any team, but specifically with them, like Giroux, he's 32 now, but he's, he really didn't perform that well in the playoffs. He was snake bitten goal wise. Jakub Voracek, he's 31. And yes, he's a great player, but I don't say, I wouldn't call him elite. And you have, you kind of have a lot of these sort of mid twenties, uh, early thirties guys who are okay, but they're not great. I think you need an actual, to really go over the top because Carter Hart can take you places. We've seen that here. Like he, if he's on his game, like, you know, the best, most of the time, the, the, the team who wins the Stanley cup is a team with a great goaltender or a team with a goaltender playing above where he usually is. You know, it's, if they add like a, like a legit scoring wing or a scoring forward onto this, onto this roster, they can, they can reach some really interesting heights. They do, they would have to move some money around, but I think Philadelphia would be a great landing spot for Taylor Hall, just in terms of, we get to play with and his immediate role on the team. And if he can actually end up putting pucks in the net at a rate that he was before, that would kind of solve a lot of problems. Yeah. I think they're going to be one of the teams that are going to be busy this off season because uh, I mean, there's going to be a lot of opportunity out there with the squeeze, uh, the salary squeeze that's going to be on a lot of teams and a lot of players. I think there's going to be opportunity for them to get a little bit better. Uh, But you know, they have got some good money, but they've got some bad money too. like JVR scratched. In, in certain Seven games, and, and that was just a terrible contract the moment it was signed. So uh, they, they're going to have to get creative, but I think they have every reason to try and to try and get this team to be uh, at an improved level than it was this year because, as we mentioned, Carter Hart's legit, that defense is very good, and they've got some really good pieces. Uh, let's go on to 
for just one last thing. Where did he, where did he go by the way? Like he uh, wasn't a factor at all. No, it wasn't. He hasn't been a factor for a while. Like he's he's a very one-dimensional player as we kind of found out. He can he can score from the point, but that's about it and when he's not scoring from the point, it's it's rough. So, I mean, yeah, you I, now I'm starting to take it back now. I'm not as 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 high on uh, on Philly as I was before now that I've really getting in the nitty gritty because when you look at a lot of their contracts like JVR that's going to be rough for them in the future because he was he couldn't move when he was in Toronto when he was a great net front presence and now he's getting older and he's making seven mil for the next four years yes for oh no three years after this one and he's 30 like that's rough Shane Gossespierre I'm sure you could pedal him off but he's making 4.5 until 2023-24 that's that's not a good outlook Carter Hart having having the sort of like milestones or I guess sort of like a bedrock of, of uh, Travis Konechny, Sean Couturier um, and got, and you know even like a Matt Niskanen played really well guys like that that's great but uh, Ivan Provorov too that's great but they do need some more top end talent. Mm-hmm. I think Scott Fair was a healthy scratch for most of these playoffs eh? Uh Yeah it, it's that's, I mean I guess uh, maybe maybe he's a guy involved in the offseason because Alain Vigneault is clearly uh, taking a side on that player. Mm-hmm. That's 11 million oh. in the press box too with JVR and, and Gossesware. That's rough. Not, not good. Right. Okay, let's move on to news and notes. Uh, we actually have some leap stuff. So Hell yeah. GMs are apparently mad at Kyle Dubas for setting the price on his players at the, you know, the value that he uh, has chosen, which again is, uh, it doesn't seem like a bad thing in, in any other way other than the fact that you know, I guess if he's just completely unreasonable that he's not going to be able to make trades. But thing is, he made the trade and he got the value and the re- the return that he wanted on a player like Casper Kapanen. So that seems like exactly what a general manager should be doing is trying to get peak value in return for his assets. Uh, this obviously caused a bit of a stir and whatever this certain writer says causes a stir. But uh, when it seems like it's completely backwards logic, uh, I think there's reason for the backlash in this case. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is ridiculous. This is like, I only put this in just for fun because it's a Leafs related story and we have to justify our podcast name a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's, like, they're, they're, GMs are mad at Kyle Lewis for doing his job. First of all, I don't even know if they really are. Like, this is – we're talking about Steve Simmons here, and I don't know – I really don't know how much I can believe that comes out of his mouth or comes from his fingers, I guess, when, I, when in terms of writing. Um, but getting a reputation for making players available and then asking for exorbitant prices for them was the actual quote. Isn't that exactly what a general manager is supposed to do? 
Like you're supposed to think, okay, we all know that Mark Hunter was Steve Simmons guy. We all know that. And when Dubas was, was, you know, when Dubas was picked over Hunter, that really stung. And he, and because Steven Simmons realized he wasn't going to get any scoops from Dubas and, and it's just been one hit job after the next. If Mark Hunter pulled off the trade that, that the Casper captain trade got the return that he did, we would, Steve Simmons would, would print out a billboard of his, of his, of the piece commending Mark Hunter for the great savvy hockey man job they did and post it all around the city of Toronto. This is, this is absurd. And at the same time, I really don't think that like, this just doesn't sound legit. I, 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 there's a, yes, like there are a lot, like teams seem to have trouble with, or not trouble, but seems to have, teams seem to have a bone to pick with the Leafs with everything that they do. Like when it comes to keeping the facilities open during the, the run up to the qualifying uh, games and training camp to, to now apparently getting mad for trying to extract high value for their available players. Like there's a great scene in Mad Men where, you know, John Hamm and this other supporting character are in, an, are in an elevator. And the guy just looks at John and he's like, I feel sorry for you. John Hamm looks at me and he's like, I don't think about you at all. And I think that's kind of the Leafs. Like, it's just, I, I wish I had someone in my life who thought about me as much as other teams think about the Leafs. Because it's just, it's just insane. Um, I, I don't get this. I, I don't understand where the logic was behind even putting this in, in a paper other than getting views, which I guess, obviously, yeah, that's, that's the logic behind pretty much everything. But try like this the job of a general manager is to go out and get and when it comes to trades is to is to go out and get as much value as you can for the players that you have and that's exactly what dubis is trying to do and now he's getting he's getting a reputation for that is like i don't know Uh, hockey is very dumb my job right now as someone who's you know refashioned their or remodeled their condo a little bit and is trying to you know change the look inside is to uh well part of it at least is to sell off a few of the items that i was using previously so i went on facebook marketplace and i set a really high bar for this console table that is probably not worth that but i think a decent starting point hopefully to not scare everyone away but at least maybe get someone to say hey maybe i'll give you 50 bucks for it so i set it at 75 Someone might come in at 50. We might meet in the middle. I might just give them it for 50 because I don't really value this asset anymore. But hey, if I could get 75 bucks for it, why not? So that's my strategy is probably the same as Kyle Dubas's. Mine and Facebook marketplace with marketplace with furniture and his with running an NHL organization. This is just how bargaining works. It's pretty simple. You set a high bar, you negotiate, maybe you meet in the middle. And in the case of that Casper Kapanen deal, I don't think they met in the middle. I think they just answered Kyle Dubas's demands. And if someone wants to give me $75 for that table, I'll feel like a genius, just like Kyle Dubas should after that trade. So, I mean, the, what we're seeing here is no other market has the media gets, uses the media more than in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So a guy, there's probably a GM out there who knows Steve uh, and has a good relationship who might be interested in something that the Leafs might be offering this offseason. So in an effort to maybe, you know, cause a little bit of a discussion or create a little stir in the marketplace, you call up Steve, you give him a nice quote. And as a journalist, as a reporter, you use that quote because you're in the business of creating discussion and generating clicks. I mean, it's very simple. What's very easy to determine what happened here. And that's just it. I mean, he had a discussion with someone someone a, a someone with you know power and influence in this league gave him a good bit of insight or at least something that would have people talking about Kyle Dubas Kyle Dubas is all the rage right now 
and it goes to print. I, I think it's very simple, but in this case, sometimes the quotes that you get aren't as good as they seem in the moment. You, you, you get something from a player, you write it down in a tweet, you write it down in an article, and it just doesn't pop like it popped in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that might be what happened here. But the fact that Kyle Dubas wants a lot for his assets, in no way should that be a insult or a question of his character or abilities as a general manager. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that trade rumors for certain players really heighten when they come through Toronto to play the Leafs? Like it's, this is how it works. The Toronto, mm -hmm. this is the center of the, the hockey. Toronto media machine. Exactly. This is the center of the hockey, hockey universe. And if you want to get clicks on something, if you want to, to get the, the name of your player out there, <clears throat> if you want to essentially broadcast your player, like, okay, for example, Sam Gagne, when he was, when he was playing, um, playing for the Canucks, he, he got put on waivers. And instead of going back to, um, instead of going to Utica, he wanted to be near his family. So they loaned him to the Marlies, which was the best idea because the Marlies, at, like I was covering them at the time, they had, they had a full press box pretty much every single home game, which is, you can't say that for the AHL, which meant that you had, and, and they had a full scouting list on pretty much every home game, which is you, from teams all across the league, which you can't really say for any, any, any AHL barn as well. And so if you want, if you, if you are an agent and you have a player who is maybe in a rough spot and is looking to kind of rebuild his image, there's no better in the, in, in like a minor league or something, there's no better place than to play him in Toronto because he's in front of the, because the Marlies get more coverage than like the Coyotes or even like, even a relatively like decent team, like the stars, there's just more eyes. There's more scrutiny. It's a fishbowl. And so clearly Steve Simmons, like this GM was using Steve Simmons as like a vessel to complain or to or to to get in Dubas's head and and just to and push his own agenda exactly. But just the fact that that it goes like it went along with this is is just remarkable. Like this is the dumbest quote ever. At a certain point, you have to kind of look at it and be like, is this really worth publishing? Like, is this worth sticking my name to? Because it just and and for me, I don't think it would. As much as this is a juicy quote, I don't think I don't think I would feel comfortable being like, yeah, I'm gonna have people associate my name with with the opinion of Dubas should sell off his players for less for less of a price like it just uh, doesn't make sense well i mean if it was me that received that quote i would have put that and then i would have put the context of which is you know kyle dubas is doing a good job because yes. he he not only got the price that he wanted at an exorbitant you know sort of uh you know tier or status or whatever they believed whatever the market determined that that casper captain uh return was at uh you would just say yeah kyle dubas is clearly uh, at a point where, yeah, he's putting these prices out there. He got them in this case. And that GMs are, are you know, a little bit weary of the fact that uh, they're not exactly going to get a steal from Kyle Dubas, even though he's at a point where he needs to make changes. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know why you can't contextualize things a little bit more, uh, but there's no problem using the quote. Just, you know, don't take it as gospel, I guess. Yeah. Okay. We got to move. We've got to move quickly through these next ones. And I hope that no one on Facebook marketplace is going to listen to this podcast because I don't want to get, <laughs> you know, squeeze for that 25 bucks. Uh, we got three more items. We got uh, some complaints about the Edmonton bubble. Uh, some Greg Wyshynski reported that teams and staff who went from Toronto to Edmonton are a little disappointed in the lack of amenities. All I'm going to say about that is, are amenities really important at this point? I mean, you got about two, three, four weeks left. The prize is right there. I mean, as long as they've got enough things to keep the body healthy, food to keep it nourished, we're at the point now we probably don't have to be at the golf simulator every day, do we? Yeah. 
Pro- yeah, probably not. It, also, I think it, it's seven degrees in Edmonton today. Like it's, it's really, it's, it's not summer anymore. Let's put it that way. It's yeah. not summer in Toronto anymore, but it really isn't summer anymore in, in Edmonton. I think that's starting to wear on, on some guys who were you know, maybe used to the country club aspect of, of the bubble before. Yeah, there's not really too much to say about this other than, like, what did you expect? Ed, like, Toronto is, a, I would say, a top five North American city. And Edmonton yeah. is, I'm sure, a great city, but it's not it, on the same level. It's just another uncontested dunk on Edmonton. Just, yes. That's about it. And, and don't we all love a great uncontested dunk on Edmonton? I know I well, do. Well, you're looking at it. Born and bred in Edmonton. Yep. Well, not bred, but born in Edmonton. So <laughs> I haven't been back there, and maybe there's a reason why. And there's a reason, yes. Uh, Mike Babcock interviewed for the head coaching job with the Washington Capitals. This comes after Brian McClelland expressed Mm -hmm. desire in an experienced coach that can push buttons after Todd Reardon basically flopped in his uh, head coaching debut, I believe, year. Or he's been around for two years. He's been around for two years. Uh, Apparently, the Caps didn't take the bubble seriously. They're having pool parties and just enjoying themselves. Maybe they would have been better in Edmonton. Yeah, it's – I think they would. Like, that that was – that's funny. It's, it's been coming um, from multiple kind of places now, th- that report, is that essentially they were throwing pool parties. They, they treated it like a, uh, a summer camp is what, is what they said. They weren't really interested in being there. And it really showed in their play. Like the Edmonton yeah. really, really flopped. And, or not Edmonton, um, Washington really flopped. Washington, yeah. And you know what? As much as you want to be there and take advantage of every opportunity and yeah, blah, 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 they won their cup. And Be fat and happy. Be fat and happy. Why not? Exactly. They've won their cup. It's, this is an unprecedented situation. They're away from their families. Look, like hot take. I, I can't really fault them for it too much. Like, yeah, it, you want to, whenever you step on the, on NHL ice, you should take that as an absolute privilege. And I get that. But for guys who aren't fighting for their first cup, they've, they've reached the top of the mountain before. And now they're, you know, quarantined inside a, a hotel away from their families during the middle of a global pandemic. Like, Look, I, I don't condone this kind of behavior, but I'm also not going to really, you know, crush him for it just because, like, whatever. Everything is, is unprecedented these days. Uh, just regroup and come back at next year. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, if you don't believe it, if you don't believe you can do it, you're not going to do it. Exactly. I, mean, I think that's, that's, that's been proven in the, in the playoffs year over year. Like, it takes a special sort of investment to go four rounds plus this year uh and win the stanley cup and they've 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 experienced it they went through it they went through those four rounds they came back the next year and they looked like they decided in their game seven versus carolina that they were really weren't sure they wanted to do it again Mm -hmm. and then this year you know away from families not you don't have the same team you don't believe in your coach clearly there was yes with todd reardon uh you're away from your families you know you're on the you're on the pool deck at hotel x and the beers are going like yeah, I can see why you don't measure up because you just don't believe you have it this year. You don't believe with what's going on. Can I, do I think that they can sort of retool and get there again? Yeah, they still got some really good players. Absolutely. Uh, but it's not the same team. And another thing is maybe that relaxed attitude, it has worked for them because as much as they probably were laser focused during that cup run, we saw that this is a team that likes to have a good time. And maybe they're at their best when they're a little bit relaxed and not high strung. But maybe that didn't mesh well with Todd Reardon and, and the guys that they had left in the, at this year, you know, they've dealt with some injuries. They just didn't have the same depth on this team. They got to mix things up a little bit. And I don't know if Mike Babcock's going to be the answer, but he probably would have prevented those pool parties from happening. I, I think so too. What this really does come down is again, is another, another sort of example of proof that letting Barry Trotz walk from essentially money was, was a, a could be a potentially organizationally crippling. Move. Yeah. 
They well, just, they want to find someone just like Trotz now. Yeah, and now they want to essentially like clone Trotz and get him in there. I don't think yeah. I, I think Babcock trying to pull his crap on Ovechkin. I don't. I, I would love to see that reality show because I really don't think I don't think that Ovechkin is going to take too kindly. The to, Boost Boudreaux, for example, is one of the most player friendly coaches out there. Like that's that's his 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 reputation is that he's like a jolly guy who who players love to play for. And we have we have a you know a, a video clip of Ovechkin on the bench calling Boudreaux a fat F like it, like it, Mike Babcock went last a season there with that player. I don't think it would, I don't think there'd be a meshing at all. So yeah, I look, if they bring him in there, they're just trying to replicate trots. And I don't think that Babcock is, uh, is, is the trots clone that they think he is, but who knows? It'll be interesting. It would be good for content. It would be interesting to see how Alex Ovechkin deals with playing only 18 minutes a night. Speaking of good for content. This is our last, our last note, and this would be content Christmas if this happened. Pierre mm-hmm. Maguire has interviewed twice for the Coyotes' GM job. I actually see a bit of, not the benefit, or the, maybe the reasoning. I see why it sort of makes sense for the Coyotes, because you need some personality there. Mm-hmm. You need something. You need some guy who's going to come on the mic and just be passionate and, and just talk his way through a press conference and get everybody a little bit fired up because there has been nothing interesting about what's gone on in Arizona for a long time. Positive. And I think he, he would at least give them some personality, uh, some, someone to, to, pro, to provide a quote. Obviously, the entire hockey community, community is familiar with, with uh, not Barry Trotz. They are familiar they are. with Barry Trotz. Yeah. But they're very familiar with Pierre Maguire and everything. You know, they, they know how he thinks. They know how he acts. They know how he is. And there would just naturally be a little bit more attention on the Arizona Coyotes and the general manager position there if a guy who's been sort of embedded in the hockey community for the last two decades is suddenly running the show over there. I don't know how well he'll do. I think he'll have to put some smart people around him because as much as he knows where everybody's from and their background and, you know, from the, their first you know, their tight, from their tight days, as much as he is an, an encyclopedia, I don't know if he has, you know, a complete hold on everything that's going on in hockey and what you have to do from a scouting and development point of view to actually run a successful program. Uh, but I think he can be sort of that, almost celebrity face and probably not do it for that much money. I mean, I mean, he probably makes a decent amount of money at NBC, but he probably won't. It's not like you're prying, you know, uh, I don't know who the the most, maybe Ken Holland would just be able to, you know, he's a former Stanley cup winning guy and you'd be able to uh, have to pay him a certain amount. Maybe he's not quite on that level as guys who have been making NHL money for a long, long time. Uh, I just think that there is some reason behind it and it would be entertaining and it would do wonders for content. Uh, but, you know, it might just keep Arizona in that same state of mediocrity that they've been at for a long time. This, this would essentially be the worst hockey version of the Raiders prying John Gruden out of the Monday Night Football. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what it's like. Except John Gruden's actually a pretty good coach and Pierre Maguire is like, his his job coaching the uh, the Hartford Whalers is one of the most it's one of the worst coaching tenures in NHL history and it's mentioned by Steve Angle a lot but there's I can't remember who wrote it but there is a piece I think it's in like the Hartford Journal whatever the the local Hartford paper when when Pierre Maguire got fired 
it's probably the 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 most scathing hit piece I've ever read on any player on any person in sports. It it was it was like the Michael Russo Paul Fenton you know piece mm. that should have won a Pulitzer last year, but like on steroids, it's crazy. Yarmer Yager has won two cups, he's won gold medals and all that, and he says one of his favorite moments in his career is when Pierre Maguire was chirping at him on the bench all game, and then Yager took a penalty. Pierre Maguire like called him a bunch of names. Yager stepped out of the penalty box on a breakaway, scored, and then flipped off uh, uh, <laughs> Pierre Maguire while he was celebrating. He said, that is one of the greatest moments of my career. I think that this guy, if, you, if, a, if being a GM is, if, if the mark of being a GM is knowing every player's blood type and their mother's maiden name and their, and their first pet you know, from grade six or whatever, then great. He'll be, he'll be awesome. But I, really, but I think for a guy who, has, who clearly has no understanding of what analytics are, who has who has shown through at least at least through his his, um, his tenure on the air shown how resistant he is to any thinking any kind of new wave of thinking. I think putting him in an NHL front office is going to be rough, but I can see how he would get. I can see how he's gone through two interviews because he seems like a guy who would interview well. He seems like a guy who, especially yeah. especially after the like, because I wouldn't. I, I don't know if you consider John Chick as like a hockey man, like a hockey guy, and after how messy that ended in um in arizona they they have new they have new owners who aren't embedded in the hockey world i can see how they how pierre mcguire comes in there and rattles off a bunch of nhl information and they think wow this guy knows everything he's great i can see how he's gotten this far but i think actually giving him the keys to the car oh that's that, that's going to be rough well he's the opposite of john shaika i mean yes. in, in, just in terms of his thinking his personality everything, everything everything would be completely different i guess that's the only thing that might be the same is that they might yeah. not do a very good job uh which would keep arizona exactly where it is um but i, I think it's clear that he wants it right yes. he's been linked to every team that has a general manager the vacancy one, for a long time and this is the loudest one which makes me think it'll happen which would be fun and you know nbc could make its sort of transition at that point too because they've sort of put him on the shelf a they little have. bit brian boucher's definitely emerged as their number one guy and and maybe uh, maybe NBC is pulling for the fact that he might get that job as well. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's mm-hmm. it's just another interesting storyline and in what should be a pretty good off season for content. So we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed on that, and we'll be back with our you know next episode probably uh, you know later in this week after a couple more games in each, each series are uh, have concluded. We'll see if Ryan Reeves has had an impact on the Vegas-Dallas series, and we'll see if the Islanders have anything for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are uh, definitely, it looks like they're on that sort of collision course with whoever comes out of the Western Conference for the Stanley Cup Final, and we're going to get there shortly. Uh, But for now, we'll just leave it at that. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 